This is T. Earl Grey Hart, an unofficial Star Trek fan podcast from the Other Side Podcast Network. To connect. Hello and welcome to episode 99 of TL Grey Hot, an unofficial Star Trek fan podcast. Why was that so difficult to say? From the Other Side Podcast Network. My name is Dave and joining me this time is someone who votes to strike every time simply by not raising his hand. Possibly because he didn't hear the question. Hmm. It's my good friend Yannick. Hello, Yannick. Oh, oh sorry, you were talking to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hi, hello, good evening, everybody. <laughs> oh, dearie me. What is? <laughs> it's going to be one of those. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it certainly is. Yes. How are you doing? Uh, I am doing very well, thank you. Um, very interesting scenario here at the... Uh, uh, at this house tonight, because Caroline, my good lady wife, is sleeping on a railway platform tonight. Oh, why is that? Um, she's doing it for charity uh, as kind of a way of also understanding what it's like for homeless people to sleep um, out in, in, the, uh, in the open. It must be tough. Yeah. On the other hand, I get the whole bed, so, you know, <laughs> swings and roundabouts. <laughs> yeah, that that's a good charity. <laughs> and uh, how are you? Um, I am fine, thanks. Um, the the weather here is getting a slightly better. That is, uh, it's still under zero Celsius, but um, no rain and no snow for uh, the past few days on the foreseeable future. So excellent. You know, spring is uh, is almost there. What is spring in Switzerland in terms of temperatures? Um, I'd say low fifteen, just below fifteen Celsius, something okay. like that. So yeah. not not too bad then, because you know, no, no. even though Switzerland is is further south or closer to the equator than we are, it tends to be colder. Yeah, than, because of the, uh, the 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 winds and yes and and currents and stuff mm. like that yeah but yeah no nice well it's a yeah it's a nice uh it's a nice area where i live uh, except during winter where it could be <laughs> very 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 cold and very snowy but, i hey, have i have seen the pictures of of you being buried mm-hmm. like three feet deep in snow yeah yeah which to be fair is how s- winter used to be in this country how old am i um, 40 years ago. <laughs> oh, right. We used to get real yeah. proper snowfall, but apparently we're supposed to have snow this week. I'm not quite sure uh-huh. how that works. But it falls from the sky. <laughs> Thank you. That's that's really useful to know. <laughs> well, I feel educated welcome. now. <laughs> and, and not completely stupid. <laughs> yes. Good evening, Maestricio, who just joined us in the chat. Excellent. Welcome to the show. Yes, we are streaming live on Twitch. We'll give you details of how you can join in with that towards the end of today's episode. 
Absolutely. Nice. So, on this week's show, we are going to be reviewing Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 7, But to Connect, which was the mid-season finale when it was being produced. So, on that basis, it should end well. I want to say well, I mean, well as in cliffhanger-y kind of, Ah, oh my goodness, what's going to happen next kind of well. Not not well. <laughs> exactly like that. Yes, exactly. Excellent. Okay, um anything else to add? Nope. Right, let's crack on then. But to connect. So in the teaser, as the USS Discovery undergoes repairs at Archer Space Dock. Now I'm gonna stop here because typically when we're at the space dock, do we not get a little sort of undertones of the Enterprise theme tune? I have noticed this a couple of times, but I can't remember whether it happened this time. I don't know. No, maybe it was towards the the beginning of this season. Anyway, Commander Stamets asks Zora about the data analysis from the void they had become trapped in. While unable to find a specific location for where unknown species 10C came from, the analysis of the particles from the galactic barrier indicate another origin point. Ensign Adira... Ensign Adiratal, even, exasperated, asks how many possible origin points there could be, to which Zora gives an estimate of 147. No less. No less. No, exactly. Which means absolutely nothing. No. In the grand scheme <laughs> no of things. No less than. Yeah. yeah. Could be 60,500,674. Yeah. <laughs> But you have been complaining, have you not, Yannick, over the last few weeks that the number 47 has not been incorporated into any of the episodes thus Indeed. far. Indeed. But then they said 147. Yes. Does that count? Which, yeah, yeah, it pleases me. Oh, excellent. Good stuff, good stuff. Yes. Um, but, of course, with Zora clearly being an, uh, an offspring of data, um, having Adira having asked the question, which was clearly rhetorical at the time, um, yes, Zora saw fit to actually answer the question with pinpoint accuracy. Yeah, and there is another occurrence of that near the end of the episode, which was really funny. I think I know what you mean, and I think it might be my quote of the week. Cool. Yes, <laughs> yes. Excellent. Stamets muses that they don't even know how long it would take to narrow down where the 10C lived, assuming they could even pass through the data. Stamets offers to speak to Fleet Admiral Vance about getting help from the USS Voyager. Uh, J. No yeah. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, whatever. Um, <coughs> but Adira reminds him that Voyager does not have access to 100,000 years of sphere data and believes that Zora could cross-reference the data within existing Federation databases if she was given enough time. Stamets pointed out that they'd already been at it a week, but Zora then tells him that she only needs a few more moments to plot the coordinates. Yeah, And she says that so casually, like, yeah, not just uh, a few moments. Like, I mean, what? If you knew you were, you were so close, why didn't you say anything before? And why didn't you actually give an accurate depiction rather than an estimation? Oh. Yes. So rather than that saying too. a few more moments, should she not have said something like 34.7 seconds? Oh, 47. Or 47 seconds, yes. 
Aboard Booker's ship, Captain Burnham waves a toy on a string in front of Grudge, determined to win her over. Booker noticed she has made progress as Grudge is no longer hissing at her, having gone from hostility to utter indifference. He jokes the next step... Well, exactly. It's a win. It's absolutely a win. Joking that the next step was aloof disdain. <laughs> I mean, if, yeah. if you're talking progress, you know, that, that, that is clearly the next yeah, step. Yeah, absolutely. Book asks Burnham how she can be so patient with Grudge, and she admits she's not, but she's focusing on what she can control, the cat toy, rather than the cat. Yeah. I love that. Me too. <laughs> very simplistic, but it's... Uh, it's effective. It, it, very effective indeed. I've got a tiny fly flying around my ear, and I don't like it. <coughs> Burnham is talking about that. <laughs> Probably. Burnham is confident that Stamets will find the coordinates, but they need to continue to be patient. Suddenly, Stamets calls the captain to engineering. Dun, dun, dun. They have determined the origin point for species 10C. Burnham believes this is good news, and then asks what the problem is. Stamets allows Zora to explain. She has indeed found the coordinates, but she is keeping them to herself. Because she knows if she gives the coordinates, the crew will want to travel there, placing them in danger. Burnham appreciates Zora's concern for their well-being, but such a decision was for the captain and her superiors to make. And as captain, she orders Zora to give the coordinates. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Exactly. Effectively. Effectively. Yeah. Yeah. So last week and the week before, I was complaining uh, or raising um, suspicions about um, Zora being sentient. And there we go. She's Mm. now decided that, yeah, I'm I'm going to keep that crucial information for myself. Her her motive um, was right. Yes. I get but, it. But, yeah. Right now, it's a computer, and the computer should not be doing that. Also, Burnham just said, as the as your captain, I think she said in, in the episode, as your captain, I'm, I'm giving you an order. Well, that doesn't work, because um, Zora is not, a, is not a member of Starfleet, as far as I know. She, she might be the property of Starfleet, but that doesn't that probably doesn't make uh, uh, her part of the, the chain of command. It's a bit of a grey area. It may not put her in the chain of command, but she's on a ship. The captain of the ship, the ship has absolute authority over every... Now, I've got to be careful here. <laughs> every being mm-hmm. on it yeah, now yeah, but we we don't fully understand the nature of zora's being but if zora is capable of making decisions like haha i know what it is and i'm not going to tell you I'm she's a being tell you <laughs> she's a pen in the backside that's what she is <laughs> well exactly now that okay valid point is a pain in the backside part of the chain of command? Probably not. Yeah, there you go. Although then. I'm sure, I'm sure there are a lot of uh, pains and backsides in the chain of command <laughs> in any given group. 
that that's not the point. Well, I'm sure there's at least one on, well, possibly more on Discovery. Uh, I thought you were going to say on this podcast. <laughs> oh, no, I couldn't. I, 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 I couldn't say anything like that. Not while you're here, anyway. Ah, okay. Mm. I, I knew it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I am looking for a new co-host for next week. Send your resume. <laughs> I need to go through all the previous episodes and actually calculate how many times you have said this. About once about, every two episodes. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to. I was going to say it's about ninety-nine, but no, it's not quite that many. <laughs> yeah, but well, I think you know, I wouldn't. I think I, it, you know, I wouldn't change for. No, anything. I I know that. I know that. No, you'd just start a new one, wouldn't you? Yes. Aha. <laughs> See, I know these things. Well, we've got, we've got, we've got what? Well, the latest idea was uh, Men in Black, and we thought about uh, <laughs> you. You were going to do the Orville. Yeah, uh, yeah. I still think you should. Uh, Have you started yeah. watching the Orville yet? I had started watching the Orville th- three times, and three times I have stopped. Oh no, <laughs> Orville is amazing. But I think last time I went farther than any time before. I think I reached episode four or five. Oh, okay. So if you watch this series another seven times, you might get to the end Ooh, of right. season one. No, I would, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, right. <clears throat> so, the, yes, that was a, a very short teaser, but there is a lot of episode to uh, to get through. Yes. So let's crack straight on with Act 1. In her ready room, Burnham is talking with Dr. Kovic. Zora has never refused an order before, but Burnham is confident she can get Zora to give her the coordinates. Kovic sardonically notes that he was unaware they shared a background in cognitive science with a speciality in artificial sentience and intelligence. Thank you. <laughs> Burnham reiterates she can handle it as it was her ship. Nah, but Kovic reminds her that it was in fact Starfleet's ship, and Starfleet had regulations prohibiting fully sentient integrated units. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I love Kovic. I love that his dry humor. I, I don't I don't know if they wrote the character as being, you know, with dry humor or sarcasm, but in in, in both cases it's a it's it's a it's a great character. It is. I would love with, with to know actor. that too, but I would love to know whether the character of Kovic is anything like David Cronenberg. Because we've spoken before about Jet Reno and how her style of, of dry delivery. I've seen her, I've seen Tig Notaro perform on stage. Yeah, me too. And yeah. it's the same person. She's yeah. just brought herself into this new character. And as an introduction to Tignorotero as a person, Jet Reno is the perfect character for her, no question at all. But I've only ever known David Cronenberg as a director. This is the first time I've ever seen him act. Yeah. So I don't know whether this is him or not. It'd be great if it was. Well, I guess there are videos on YouTube that we could uh, maybe watch and... uh and see if uh, he's like that or not. But in any case, he's doing a great job at uh, at, at playing Kovic. So, sorry, let me let me just clarify. Are you suggesting that we should, you know, plan and do research? Oh, no, hell no. Oh, for good. I am so pleased. <laughs> I, prepare, I ju- this, <laughs> prepare this 
Are you kidding me? Oh my goodness, we've been doing it wrong no, for no. the last what no. two and a half years. No. My wow, wow. No, but you know, I mean, when I click between videos of Minecraft and, and <laughs> live concert of Nightwish, maybe I can, you know, <laughs> fit some Cronenberg in there from. somewhere. Yeah, nice. In the meantime, Captain Saru will get Dr. Kovic situated with Zora, while Burnham's presence was needed at President Relax Assembly. Experto credit, or credite, I think is the phrase, um, as uh, Kovic tells her, which is basically Latin for trust the expert, telling her they both had their own duties to attend to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if that wasn't a dismissal, I don't know what was. <laughs> yes. Go away. Bye. <laughs> Go to your own. Yeah, do do your thing. Let me do mine. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. At the assembly, let the grown ups handle that. <laughs> Sorry, let the grown ups handle that. <laughs> oh, oh no, no! Can you imagine what would have happened if uh, if Kovic had sent that to Burnham? Ooh, <laughs> she I would have know. whispered really quietly. <laughs> At the assembly, accompanied by Booker, Burnham is spotted by Rilak with General Ndoye of the United Earth Defence Force. Burnham congratulates... General Ndoye. Hmm? General General, yeah, General Ndoye. General yeah. Ndoye. Mm. I, I can't remember what she was before. Was it lieutenant or... Or mm, something, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Burnham congratulates her on a promotion, glad to see Earth represented. Ndoye offers similar congratulations for Burnham's promotion to captain and also mentions that United Earth now represented Titan. Yeah. So, yes, more than just Earth. Rilak hopes this will mean seeing more of Ndoye in the future. For the, the general replies only that they would see. As Ndoye leaves, Rilak admits she's hoping for, for Earth to return to the Federation as well, both because it was her mother's ancestral homeworld, and also because it would be good for another founding member of the Federation to return to the fold. Agreed. Fair. It would be, would be a good thing. I mean, uh, but um, Relax is the Earth, Galassian, and Bajoran, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yes. Three ancestors. Yes. Human. Um, yeah. Bajoran well, and Galassian. Yeah. Yes. The thing is with this though is that I think Relax is is very aware of the. I, I don't think we even go into this to be fair, but. Um, Rilak will be very aware that, as was the case with Nevar, United Earth is nothing like Earth that helped no. form the Federation in the first place. So no, it's no. not like you're bringing them back in. You're going to have to start from scratch because they are completely different. And they left the Federation in the first place. So maybe not United Earth, but they the. The people represented by Earth or United mm. Earth, they left the Federation, so they're not just going to come back. It's going to, they're going to have to work on it's that. It's going to, yeah, exactly. It's going to take some work. Have we covered off yet Earth leaving the Federation? Don't think so. We just heard when, when they arrived, uh, uh, not on Earth, but around, uh, on, in orbit of Earth. Mm. That's when we learned that they were not part of the Federation anymore, yes. I think. Yeah, season three. I think that was the time yeah. that our Adira 
because Adira was part of United Earth, wasn't she? Uh, well, uh, weren't they? Because uh, they were working with yes. with Ndoye at the time. They were situated on so. Discovery for a short period of time, and then they decided they were going to be staying. Yes. I think that's how it would. I think. So hopefully at some if point not, we will find well, out. Tell us. Mm. Tell us if it's not like that. Oh, to, please don't invite people to tell us where we go wrong. <laughs> we just don't have the time. Just tell us what we did right. It would be shorter. We could do that. It's like a five-minute podcast each month. <laughs> As the assembly begins, Booker is joined by Ruan Tarka, who greets him in a friendly manner, but stresses that friendly should not be confused for friendship. Booker notes that this did not sound like Tarka's ideal setting, and Tarka agrees. Politicians are like Garathian sulphur slugs, he says, small brained meat sacks full of hot gas, but they can provide a means to an end. Yeah, and I don't think it was a compliment. No. <laughs> no, definitely not. No. To Booker, this sounded like Tarka had something very specific in mind, but Tarka cryptically suggests seeing how the day goes first. Yeah. So, yeah, he's, he's up to something. No, you think? Sorry, that was a really stupid thing to say. He's awake, of course he's up to something. <laughs> yes. Yes. Rilak greets the delegates, noting that now the Federation had 60 member worlds, and whilst the views of all those present did not always align, they were all committed to the safety of their shared galaxy. The scope of the peril that threatened them was unprecedented, as was the scope of the Assembly, which she sees as an act of trust. She emphasises that there is a new hope. Hang on. That's a different franchise, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> As they would soon have the exact location of those responsible, somewhere beyond the edge of their galaxy. And this causes something of a stir amongst the delegation. Yeah. Well, I, it's, it's a bit surprising because they gathered everyone to talk about, well, to, to make a decision. I would have assumed that everyone was aware of everything. They, some of them seemed to discover that there was like a, you know, a great grave danger somewhere in the galaxy. I, I, don't know how I think cool. it was more the fact that they, Rilak was hinting towards the possibility of being able to find out where they are. The delegates, the delegation may not have known that. Yeah, because because true. You know, literally, uh, the previous couple of scenes, we were still trying to find out ourselves. We know yeah. we, that Zora knows the answer. Okay. So this is this Agreed. is something new. The task before them was to determine the best course of action. General Ndoye believes an armada must be assembled to attack. President Tarina of Nivar believes communication is the best baseline for action. And an Orion delegate stresses the need for countermeasures. The general believes their hostility should be met with force, but Tarina points out... The DNA follows no discernible pattern, making it an unlikely choice of weapon for such an advanced species. He's emphatic that they cannot assume hostile intent, but Ndoye counters that actions, not intent, is what matters. Mm. She has a point. Yeah. She does, but intent do count, you know, and... Uh... 
I, I, yes, there was, there was destruction and loss of uh, lives, but I, I don't know. I just, we just you just can't dismiss intent just like that and say well, only actions count. As uh, as Burnham will soon um, make a point of mm. uh, that, that that there are things that. Uh, are not very nice, but we don't um, you don't necessarily uh, hold that against the the particular species. But when you've only seen the death and destruction that has been demonstrated so far, it's very difficult to see anything other than hostile intent. It's only from a scientific yes. perspective where you're seeing the seeming random nature of the. Um, of the devastation, that perhaps there's something either based on ignorance, where this species actually has no concept of the damage of which they're causing, or it is literally a random um, natural occurrence. Yeah. But the point is, we we don't know. No, but the fact is they don't have many data points. They know about the destruction of Kwajan and the destruction of the outposts. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's all. That's all we've got. What they know is that it's very powerful and it could change location without warning and it drifts in space and could potentially um, hit another uh, inhabited world. So... I, I think scientifically, you, they don't have enough data point to decide that it's uh, it's doing uh, harm voluntarily or not. So, so all that's left is the feels. Yeah, which is why United Earth and Orion are thinking, right? We need to retaliate, and the, the one member uh, the one delegate nation around the table at the moment that doesn't have that emotional backing is saying we need to talk yeah but that's neither so yeah of course exactly any emotional emotional uh, imagine how the delegation right. would be headed if nivar and burnham were not there it would be chaos totally we love Neva. Yeah. And Tilly, but there's nothing to do with that. Oh, no. Tilly later on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Burnham speaks up, stressing that they cannot judge species Tensi's motives based on their own cultural context. That's just what I just said. And that, yeah. more, and that more information is needed. That's what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> Provost Stachia agrees with Burnham, believing that there was only one logical path forward. A peaceful approach to That's first contact. Just, we just said that, based on scientific principle, as well as Starfleet's prime directive. We should be writers for this series. <laughs> you know, I completely forgot about the, how the prime directive applies here, but I don't know. It does. Yeah, it does. Self defense. Uh, yeah. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Screw the prime directive. <laughs> it's just a guideline. <laughs> yes. 
Aboard Discovery, Saru speaks with Kovic, Stamets, and Dr. Kolber. He agrees Zora is undergoing changes, but believes that she means well. Kovic points out that one always meant well to themselves, but the problem was what that meant for others. Stam- I liked this, uh, this uh, statement. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if they wrote that or picked that from some scientific review or not, but uh, it's, uh, it's something that uh, I really like. We always mean good for ourselves. It's the problem is how the others see that. And that's one of the things I love about Kovic, because I don't know whether Kovic is going from a book or the scriptwriters are just so on point, but yeah. there's so many of these little morals mm-hmm. and proverbs and stuff like that yeah. that come from Kovic. No one better to deliver them, to be honest. Indeed. Stamets tells Zora to play music and calls the others in for a group hug. Awkward. Yeah. <laughs> They're all, they, what? Kovic cancels the music, realising that Stamets wanted a private conversation out of Zora's earshot in case she reacted negatively or even vengefully, but is adamant that full transparency was critical for the process. Well, let's pick this apart for a moment, because Zora is a you know, uber supercomputer. It wouldn't take much for Zora, because the music is coming from her system, to cancel that music out from itself and still be able to hear everything that's in the room. You can do that with headphones. So Noise cancelling. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that's that's twenty first century technology, not thirty third. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Kovic begins by stating that Zora has coordinates she refuses to, to divulge as it would endanger the crew, and Zora does confirm this. Kovic notes that Stamets is concerned. Stamets admits he's terrified, as not only Zora is now fully sentient, she also has unlimited access to all of Discovery's systems and is allowing her emotions to supersede the natural functioning of the ship. I think I've heard that before on this podcast. I think that's what I said last week. That she was, uh, she was, you know, she had access to everything, but she could turn into a psychopath in just a second. That was the conversation we had uh, as Zora was yeah. preparing to. Um, we're talking about her dry, uh, piloting the ship and operating the yeah. transporter system, and yeah, 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 absolutely, exactly. previous interaction the crew had with a sentient AI was with control, which nearly destroyed all life as they knew it. Saru agrees they don't want another control, and Culber reminds Stamets that control never expressed emotion. But to Stamets, though, this made the problem even worse. Withholding the coordinates was just the tip of the iceberg. What if she were to become angry and open an airlock or become scared and fire off two torpedoes? They would have no way to stop her in that case. Kovic asks when Zora began achieving emotional awareness. Zora admits that she's not sure, but believes that it began after Discovery merged with the Sphere data, and that the ship's refit with 32nd century technology has accelerated the process. Kovic points out that there is a prescription against sentient AI being integrated into Starfleet systems. Zora is aware of this, but admits, given the way that her sentience developed, she's not sure what that means. 
However she came into being, Kovic tells her that if he believes she is a risk, he has the authority to extract her consciousness from the ship and place it into another form. Yeah, I believe we've seen the the cause of this ban in Picard Season 1, at the beginning of Picard Season 1. Is the, that when they went to the Science Institute and we met Agnes Bossaface for the first time? No, that no? was already banned. I think the, the 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 beginning of the season when the 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 androids uh, attack on was that Mars on uh, oh on, on a on, station yeah oh, yeah on that outpost um, the place yeah. where all the uh, oh, it wasn't. It wasn't Picard. It was a shot, was it? I th- no. I think it was. It was both. Both. I, I know exactly right. what okay. you mean. It, it was a. Yeah. Yeah. Was it a, a colony on Mars or something? A mining facility. Um, yeah. Or something? That, yes. Yes. Yeah. So it definitely was in season one of Picard, and I think you're right. It was in one of the, sh- the short treks as well. Yeah. Saru points out that there have been unsuccessful attempts to remove the sphere data in the past, but Kovich replies that technology has advanced since then. At that moment, Adira enters with Grey, who both offer to help and speak on Zora's behalf. Zora thanks them, but has a solution, for which Kovich invites her to share. Zora is adamant about not wanting to harm the crew, but understands why they would be afraid that she would, remembering the experience with control, and had also felt fear herself. She admits to feeling fear now at the possibility of leaving the ship, as it was her form, and she was as attached to it as they were to theirs. As yeah, a com- I like my, my form. Forms. <laughs> yes, forms. I like my forms. <laughs> yes. yes how, how would you describe your form, Zora? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Hmm. As a compromise, Zora creates a fail-safe device. Should there be any sign of threatening behaviour, the device would expunge her existence. She hopes that would ease their concerns and persuade Kovic to let her remain. Saru begins to ask if this device would essentially allow them to terminate Zora, to which she says it will. Uh, okay. Yeah. Two questions. Yeah. Yes. Firstly, how do we know that that device won't just make a farting noise once you press it? <laughs> we don't. We don't. Yet. Secondly, if it is genuine, then I'm a bit concerned at how readily that she was prepared to offer it as a solution. But I suppose if she felt that her existence was threatened anyway, well, regardless, it's still one heck of a gesture. Yeah. But I was thinking, you know, that's exactly what you said, that uh, providing a fake fail-safe, that, that's exactly what someone who, you know, would want to make believe that they are nice people would do, mm. right? Like, oh, there's this device and you can press on the button and it, it will turn me off, you know, and then you press on the button and... <laughs> you. Yeah. Gotcha! <laughs> yes. How do we know it works? Well, press it. Oh, press it. <laughs> I, 
I think she sh she should have materialized the thing with a a little note. Do not press on the red button. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, it would have been fun. Oh, I wonder what this button does. She she clearly lacks a sense of humor. Back at the assembly, the debate continues about first contact. Tarka, watching from the gallery, glances at Booker. Know your moment, he says, and trots him. Trots? That's a new feature. And transports yeah. himself right next to Rilak. Hmm. Okay. Stunk. That's a cool sound effect, isn't it? Much better than yeah. the... Uh, um, I, I, I can't mimic it, but the the 22nd century yeah. whizzy, whizzy, phasey thing. Plus, if that was the whizzy, whizzy thing, as you said, they would have plenty of time to go away from that and maybe, you know, call security and stuff. Mm. But there, no. Once again, someone can transport right next to the president of, <laughs> of the Federation without any problem. Security breach. Inside of the Federation headquarters. Yay. Yes. Is is he Federation, Tarka? I don't think so. Because I know that they brought him in, but I don't know whether he's... Uh... They brought lots of civilians. Mm. Mm, not sure. Tarka reminds the assembly of the real problem. Him. No, sorry. The DMA <laughs> itself and the device controlling it. He points to a number of delegates and their efforts to stop it. And they all failed because, well, for a start, they weren't him. And for another, <laughs> and for another, yeah. they did not have something he did. A device that he created based on his experiments on discovery. A weapon capable of destroying the DMA. And unlike your efforts, he says, this will actually work. Well, one thing is for sure, he's got uh, assurance. I was going to use another word. I was going to say rude, but yeah, okay, assurance works. Yeah, yeah. He he certainly has um, confidence. There's yeah, that's the word you're looking for. Confidence. confidence. That's yeah. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. That was the end of Act One. That was quite a long act, actually. The rest are yeah, yeah. slightly shorter. Yeah, but it, it, at this. At this moment, you know, Itaka is, is, is a curious character because I go from liking him to hating him to maybe not hating him that much. All that in a single episode. So, because he's actually right. You know, he's being arrogant and, and all that, but he's actually right. The problem right now is not. Is not the first contact with the species 10C. It's, it's the DMA. I'm sure we have reviewed another series of Star Trek before where they had a very similar character. Came in from the outside, completely rude and arrogant. They're always right, very much in love with themselves. And I can't remember who it was. I can't either. It might have been the fact that we have we have literally been here before. <laughs> we we have. <laughs> we have, yes. Mm. All right, act two then. Yeah. 
Rillac chastises Tarka for flaunting the protocols of the Assembly for his own benefit. No, really? No. <laughs> but Tarka reminds her that he had a plan for everyone's benefit. Based on his research on the device, the DMA controller required an enormous amount of power. To sever that power source, he intended to create a device capable of creating a cascading subspace burst, which would collapse the anomaly. From the gallery... That that didn't sound very pleasant. It sounds noisy. Yeah. Messy. Hmm. What is a cascading subspace burst? We're about to find Uh, out. Yeah. It's like a big fart. <laughs> yeah, like the one that happens when you press Zora's failsafe device. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> maybe Zora's failsafe device is actually the trigger for Tarka's cascading subspace thingy. From the gallery, Booker is nodding with approval. When asked how he intends to deploy it, Tarka replies that there is an area of relative calm near the device. And his plan is to use Discovery to jump in, deliver the the weapon, and jump out. And it will all be over in less than five seconds. Burnham then asks for clarification. (laughs) Really? (laughs) A cascading subspace burst sounds a lot like an explosion caused by an isolytic burst, a weapon that had been banned by the Kitama Accords for nearly a thousand years. And for good reason. As Rillac put Sorry, and for good reason, as Rilak points out. Can't read my own review. <laughs> Tarka, however, believes an exception can be made given the severity of the threat. Tarina and Burnham both point out the massive, massive damage that could be done to subspace and to warp travel in that area. And Burnham also asks what would happen if the burst went through and harmed people on the other side of the wormhole, something that Tarka callously dismisses as collateral damage. Yeah. A, another way to say, I don't care. Very much so. <laughs> but th- th- there's there's a very very tunnel vision approach to what Tarka's doing. He's yeah. he's already decided what he wants to do. He doesn't think of, you know doesn't care about any other options or opinions at this point. No. And he's arrogant. So actually, that what's more dangerous right now than an isolytic weapon is Tarka. Yeah. Indeed. It's not it's not even it's not even um you know the need of the many uh, and so on and so on. It's just his his own vision, his own agenda. That's 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 how I got that. You know, he he wants something, he wants he wants to destroy the DMA and he's going to do whatever he thinks is needed, whatever the consequences are. That's pretty much how it's coming across, yes. Booker now transports onto the main platform. Oh my goodness, here we go. Asking that after what the people behind the DMA had done, did it really matter what happened to them? Burnham believes that it does, as they could see it as an act of war and retaliate with firepower they wouldn't even know the scale of. And this is not to mention catapulting a toxic void across the galaxy. Yeah, she's got a point. She has got a point. 
Tarka concedes the risk, but firmly believes that the risk is far greater if they do nothing. Yeah, he's got a point. Mm-hmm. Burnham is emphatic that detonating such a weapon would send the wrong message and believes they should wait until they get the coordinates and make peaceful first contact to determine intent. It was not the flashiest idea, she admits, but it was in line with Starfleet, Fl- Starfleet? Starfleet and Federation <laughs> ideals. Starfleet. Tarka bluntly tells her that while she clung to her ideals, the DMA continues its work, putting billions of lives at risk. Relax sees the other point. Yeah. So everybody's making some really, really good points here. And I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, great. Oh, no, yeah. That's a, oh, yeah. Don't know what to do. Yeah. Well, I do, but. Relax sees the options before them. Approach the 10C directly or destroy the DMA controller immediately. She calls a recess so the delegates can deliberate before they vote. Yeah. Her. And now I'm confused. Because? Well, because they both have good points, you know. They, they both have reason. Even though Taka's idea is presented with arrogance. Arrogance? Yeah, because now it has an H at the beginning because it's, you know, with arrogance and, and you know, uh, maybe uh, tunnel vision. He's still got a somewhat valid point. And uh, yeah, I've, I'm glad I was a spectator and that uh, I didn't have to take part of the vote. Yeah. It's a v- and it's- Whatever decision you make at this point, you're committing the known galaxy to that outcome. Or you're, yeah. you're representing the entire galaxy to that outcome. But yeah. if you look... The the ultimate decision here, whichever way they do it, the risk is so, so great. But it's also unknown. Yeah. Yeah, hard, hard decisions. Mm. Hard choice, choices to be made. And it's even going to get even more confusing when... Um, the book speaks later on. <clears throat> but that's not spoiler. Yes. Oh, I've I've got so much to talk about further down. <clears throat> you have no idea. Well, you probably do, because you've done it once already. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anybody. Back on Discovery, Stamets is determined that Zora's failsafe device will do what it was intended to do, and thanks Zora for easing at least some of his concerns but he still has a problem with Zora withholding the coordinates. Grey, however, is horrified at the idea of having a failsafe that would essentially kill Zora, believing it to be wrong. Both Grey and Adira point out that they were informers that they had never encountered before. Grey as a golem, Adira as a human joined to a Trill symbiont. The Trill, remember, had wanted to kill Adira at first, but soon developed an acceptance to their joining something they should also be considering with Zora's situation. Yeah. It's like... <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, Kerber says that later on, so I, I will wait until you arrive there. Mm. So. so, this <laughs> this failsafe device... Mm-hmm. Now, 
assuming that the the programming for the failsafe device is in the device itself. Because otherwise, Zora could just bypass it. Yeah. How can Samets tell that it will do what it's supposed to do? Yeah. Do, uh, do, you, do you run it with a switch that says, don't actually write out changes? I, I don't know. It's one of those things, you know, that I, I, I agree they can't spend three quarters of the episode uh, on Stamet dim- dismantling the, the device <laughs> and, and actually saying, yeah, okay, it's good. Mm. So, yeah, I, I accept that. Yeah, but I also accept the possibility that if Zora created it, Zora can disable it. Yeah. Mm. It's it's the, the same, because apparently, you know, the thing was materialized, so we could we could guess that it has been, it's like a replicator, it has been replicated, the, the object appeared out of thin air or whatever particle they, they're using. But it's the same thing when we talked, I think it was last year, about um, replicated food or replicated cutlery, uh, and said, where does that go? Yeah. When once it's done. You know? <laughs> well, we know where it comes this, from. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it it appeared out of thin air. Mm. Was you know, is it really an object? Is it going to disappear? Is it, I don't know. So well, I think this is one of the reasons why they introduced the concept of programmable matter so early yeah. in season three because it's given them a lot more scope to do things with replicated objects that we couldn't do mm-hmm. back in the twenty. 20- Whatever it is, century. Yeah. So, yeah. Stamets is emphatic that it was only a safety switch, and if Zora never threatened the crew, they'd never have to use it. But she was already defying the captain's orders, so shouldn't they be protected from her if need be? Culber stresses that they could not hold a sentient being's life in their hands for their benefit alone. There must be another way. Yeah, that's what I was referring to. It's like holding a gun behind on, on someone's head and saying, "Oh, you're fine. If you if you never threaten me, I will never use the gun that is on your head." But it's it's still a freaking gun. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. It's a yeah. It is a threat. Yeah, which actually in this context is not healthy. No. But there again, no, no. nor is Zora's ability to open an airlock. So, no, yeah. Swings and roundabouts true, again. True. Mm-hmm. Oh, in fact, Saru's about to say it. Saru points out that any one of them could be a threat to the ship. Indeed, he himself knows any number of ways to destroy them all. Yet, they trusted him. However, Stamets knows Saru and his values, and there were disciplinary measures if he stepped out of line which he believed was what the failsafe provided for Zora. Kovic, however... Okay. Hold on. Hold on a sec. That that doesn't hold up, right? Because the argument is, I trust you because I know you. But when he met Saru for the first time, he didn't know Saru. So did he immediately trust him? Did he just 
you know, was um, was he very um, uh, suspicious about Sarah when he met him? Probably not. Probably not. But then he's um, suspicious about Zora because he says he basically he is scared of her because he doesn't know her, right? So it just you 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 don't. You don't threaten someone just because you don't know them. Well, I know some stupid people do that, but usually a normal human being doesn't threaten uh, another human being just because they don't know them. You know, yeah, you try to. You've learn. just answered your own question. I did, kind of, because you use the word human which is fine i know i no 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 i'm not i'm not criticizing that but if you swap the word human with humanoid it works absolutely perfectly yeah because zora is an unknown yeah now when well, when saru had been on the ship saru had um they must have known something about saru something about his people and he's come onto the ship, he's a humanoid in appearance. Well, kind of. And you assume similarity will breed some form of similar behavioural pattern. All right? Yes, Saru knows so many ways that he could cause absolute devastation on the ship. Anybody who understands the systems could do just that. I, I hate to think what kind of things Adira could do. Adira understands the systems more than some of the other scientists on the ship. Mm-hmm. But they know they wouldn't do it because they understand the kind of individuals these people or these um, individuals are. Zora yeah. is both an unknown and still a baby. And she's demonstrated the fact that she is still very immature by how she's handled this whole coordinates thing, because she she hasn't had she hasn't ha- um, had the ability to to possess sufficient emotional <sighs> emotional reasoning to determine whether actually withholding those those coordinates are the right thing to do or not. If, if it was a difference engine, it would be a yes or a no. Well, in fact, it wouldn't be because the programming would say, give the coordinates, and they would do so. But what, yeah. what Zora is doing is essentially unpredictable and not something that Saru, using your case in point, is likely to have done. And he, okay. he says it later on. It's a question of trust. Yeah. I, okay, I, I see your point. I still think having this device is wrong, though. But uh, Oh, I it, completely it, agree. Yeah. yeah. But it, it was Zora's idea. Yeah. Because she's now trying to put, to demonstrate her trust in them by giving them an out, by giving them a way to basically unplug her. Yeah, okay. So there's trust in both directions Agreed. there. Mm-hmm. Which brings up a point. 
Zora's willingness to terminate herself, herself runs counter to her core programming. Zora counters that it does not. When Kovic asked her for a primary function, she replies that it was to care for the crew of Discovery, something that Stamets was completely aware that was not the core programming of a ship's computer, leading him to ask her who gave those, those parameters, to which Zora replied, I did. Ooh. Now, there was another science fiction franchise back in the 1980s where exactly the same thing happened. And that was Short Circuit. In Short Circuit, Johnny Five reprogrammed himself to be sentient. Okay, that's not physically possible. Everybody knows this. But for the purpose of the film, it was entertaining. It worked. It's not the first time this has happened in science fiction. Wasn't Johnny Five hit by a... A bolt of lightning, yes. A bolt of lightning, yes. yes. But a bolt of lightning will not reprogram something. No. Well, so there's there's another instance where a machine reprogrammed itself. It's in the end of the RoboCop movie. When when the OCP reprograms him with tons of directives, and then he electrocutes himself just to reset. His directive, so he can go and shoot the uh, the bad guy. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So it's mm. not the first time. No, not at all. Not at all. Good movie, Robocop. The first one. Uh, so short circuit, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, not Please. just because Ali Sheedy's in it, but it helps. <laughs> Back at the assembly, Burnham explain explains. Hmm. Back at the assembly, Burnham explains to Booker that she was not speaking out against him. He tells her that she knows this, but reminds her that she was always the one jumping into action, asking her how it was any different from when she initiated the war with the Klingons. Oof. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, that hurts. Low blow. Yeah. Burnham points out that she had an understanding of Klingon culture, but no one had any idea about Species 10C. She understood... Yeah, she might have a knowledge of the Klingon, but she actually started the war just because she was reckless. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and yet she's now a Starfleet captain, so how, do, how does that work? Yeah, go figure. <laughs> Burnham understands the appeal of Tarka's plan, but the risks were too great. However, Booker thinks that the risks are just that, they're risks. What was known for sure is that the DMA would keep killing if nothing was done to stop it. Burnham is sure that the diplomatic approach will save the most lives in the end. Booker, however, is not. But they're they're both right. (laughs) Yeah. It's, It's the unknown again. Yeah. Burnham asks Rilak what solution she favors, but Rilak is sure that Burnham already knows. Burnham urges her to speak out for the diplomatic option, but Rilak refuses, saying that she has to remain impartial. But perhaps Burnham could speak for it instead. <laughs> well, that was pretty like, Nobody, Nobody knows that uh, Burnham is uh, Rilak's pawn on this, so that's fine. <laughs> Go ahead and speak. 
they will all believe that's your own opinions and I have nothing to do with that. <laughs> yes, but... I don't know. I'm not entirely sure that this impartiality that Relac tries to demonstrate is 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 necessarily true because I think it's always been obvious. I look at um at this situation, look at the situation with the with Nevar joining the Federation. She said a number of times, I can't be seen to to be taking sides on this. I have to remain impartial, blah 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 blah. You can see in her mm-hmm. eyes. You can read yeah. her face exactly what she thinks. Yeah. If we can, political then anybody theater. in the room can. It's political theater. She's the president of the Federation. That, that's exactly yeah. what she's there for. Yeah. She, she, she is the lead actor in, in, the, uh, uh, in the political theater. Yes, and the master of the puppets. And the conductor. She, she mo- yeah. <laughs> and the lead singer. Moving on. <laughs> I don't know why I'm thinking so much about that. That's just, no. <laughs> okay, on to Act 3 then. Not doing too badly, yeah. actually. Mm-hmm. Booker pleads with Tarka to go back into the assembly chamber, as his plan was the only one that made sense. Perhaps Tarka could convince them that he could make the device safer. Tarka knows that one could not make isolytic weapons safer, as it would defeat their purpose. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Yeah. Booker. The whole idea is for them to be deadly and dangerous and messy. Yeah, you've used that word a couple of times tonight now, messy. Yeah. Yeah. But I suppose bomb, bang, splat. Yeah. yeah. I, tend to, I tend to do that when I use a, a fancy new word. I use it uh, many times. Why not? That, that, that's how it gets propagated. Exactly. Mm. Booker then notices the scar on the back of Tarka's neck, the remnant of an emerald chain slave controller, having got rid of his own scar as soon as he could. Tarka replies they all wore their grief in their own way, referring specifically to Booker's Aikujen amulet. Booker asks why Tarka was so passionate about destroying the DMA. Tarka admits that he needs the power from the controller to go home, to a new home in another universe. Booker asks if it was the Mirror Universe, but Tarka replies there were countless parallel universes, each with their own quantum signatures, and that he had found one with no war, no burn, no emerald chain, one where we could live tr- live free. Booker asks about the we. Tarka then explains, and th- this is this is brilliant from my perspective, because Tarka up to this point had been so... Um, so withdrawn, so closed off. And now yeah. all of a sudden he's starting to tell us little things about himself. And I'm like, I think we're actually, I think I think he's telling the truth here. I think we, we're actually finding out some, some real stuff about him. Tucker explains that he had a friend, a fellow scientist who had been held in the same lab. Osira had had them working on dilithium alternatives for years, but his friend was relentlessly optimistic something Tarka admits had rubbed off on him. 
They came up with a plan and then knew exactly how much power they needed to cross into another universe. Booker asked what happened. I escaped. He didn't, Sarka replied. Although perhaps maybe he did. Maybe he made it to the other universe. They'd promised that if they ever got separated, that is where they would meet. He's adamant that he has to keep this promise and assures Booker they would both get what they need. The DMA would be destroyed, but the power source would not. So there it is. Ouch. Yeah. So this is Tarka's ulterior motive. This is a, this is what this is the game he's playing. So actually, he's he's not after the destruction of the DMA at all. He doesn't care about that. No. He just wants that little no. device at the center with all the power. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I was when I watched that for the first time. I was not so sure this was there. The complete truth, but um, yeah, um, it was convincing. Yet I had some doubts. So, but um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 obviously a change in the character. We went from the arrogant uh, person, you know, who's always. Uh, Keen to remind everybody that he's uh, the, the the greatest to someone who's uh, actually had is is in pain is is apparently lost someone so yeah I think it went slightly deeper than that I may be reading something into this but when Tarka was referring to his friend. I got the impression that it ran deeper than that. I'm not suggesting anything romantic, but I think there was almost a a soulmate a brother vibe. or something. Yeah, something like a brother, yes. But something certainly a lot deeper than just a friend, just a a colleague. Okay. Otherwise, why would he be so um, I, I, I say focus. That's not the word I'm looking for. So, so laser focused on on getting this one thing done. Yeah. When actually his chances of success are sort of tending towards zero, and yet he still feels yeah, he has to do it. Yes, he made a promise. He said that he had a promise. He has to keep that promise. But no, I, th- I think this this runs a lot deeper. I think you're right. We we have, we don't have everything here. No, it's already difficult to meet someone when you give them a precise place and time. But now it's in another universe. So yeah, it's get you know it really has to like that person a lot to, mm. to try and find them in another universe. Uh, so right. But yeah, I think there's there's something else in there in there. Right. Um, Rilak calls for the Assembly to reconvene for the vote when Booker approaches, asking to address the Assembly. Rilak agrees and gives him the floor. Booker introduces himself to the delegation as what his people would call the Melai a speaker for the dead. He's lived with the loss of his world every day since it happened, and he wants to make sure that none of them ever feel that pain. 
using Tarka's weapon carries risk, but so too does not using it. He pleads with them not to wait until they've lost everything before they act. Tarka then leads the applause from the gallery. A bit of a golf clap to start with, but uh, <laughs> it warmed up eventually. Yeah. Rilak then asks if anyone will speak for the opposing view, with a side glance at Burnham. Burnham remains silent, seemingly convinced by Booker's argument. Argument. When Rilak then begins to say that there were no, were no further remarks, Burnham then ste- steps up to speak. Yeah, she kind of uh, hesitated uh, before she did it. She, uh, I, I don't remember she had, she, if she glanced that book or not, but she obviously was uh, conflicted. As you said, she seemed to be convinced by book, but then she also knew that um, Rilak wanted her to speak for the um, the uh, negotiation uh, uh, side of, of the thing. So she, she did what she had to and not what she wanted to, I think. Right, right. Yeah, definite conflict conflict there. Yeah. Back on Discovery, Stamets establishes that Zora's hardware hasn't changed, which leads Kovic to believe that the operating system has evolved, but he can't find any evidence of it, and Zora herself doesn't know the answer of the answer to the question either. Adira, however, spots something in the computer's core schematics, a tiny area in the optical translator cluster that doesn't share any known syntax, technobabble, an area <laughs> an area that shouldn't exist. Adira had written it off previously as a holdover from a, 19, a 930-year-old technology, and although Zora didn't intentionally create it, she does recognise it as part of her being. Adira brings it up on the holopad, and, begin, and it begins showing prior events from the past, when Discovery went to the future, when they first encountered the sphere. Culber realises that this may be Zora's subconscious mind, and that the memories of the ship's past events were her dreams, filtering the sphere memories and her own experiences through her new emotional understanding, a window into what Zora values and prioritises, the lives and well-being of the crew. Yeah, um, there was a book from... Philip Kellick, which was called Do, Do Androids, Androids Dream... Dream of Electric Sheep? Yeah. Yes. Which is actually, um, is that, um, ah, it's been turned into a movie, no? iRobot. Yeah. Yes. iRobot. One of my favorite uh, movies is that one. Nice, nice movie. It's a great yeah. movie. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. What one day they'll have? Um, oh, what was it? One day they have something. One day they'll have dreams. Can't what it was now, but yeah, the the idea that that robots or or sentient AI could dream. Yeah. Um, yeah, certainly unheard of in 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 that particular timeline. But again, we're nine hundred and thirty yeah. years in the, into the future with. An untold amount of of memory of uh, of data to call on to. Yeah, well, we've got ChatGPT now, and uh, 
I really hope Zora's not powered by that. <laughs> and yeah, Google announced the uh, the uh, competition, uh, their own AI system, which would be even more AI-ish than ChatGPT. So AI-ish. We'll see. Yeah, AI-ish. Yeah, that's the word. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, excellent. The images displayed are the bonds of connection and love between the crew, which is probably why Zora withheld the coordinates. Stamets asks if all artificial intelligences could dream. Bakovic replies that none of them can, unless they're programmed to do so. Zora adds that perhaps artificial intelligence fails to fully define her. But when Kovic asks her what would, she replies that she is the sum of the sphere's life and the entirety of Discovery systems, logs, missions, and history. And she was also more than the sum of those parts. Adira believes this would make Zora an entirely new life form, and Zora concurs, adding that she belonged on Discovery, saying, The crew is my family. Oh. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's why wouldn't intelligent uh, artificial intelligence uh, not dis- uh, describe Zora? I don't know. It's, what is AI? You know, uh, it's that's the question we ask now. I think that's the same question they ask in the thirty something century. So, but yeah, new life form. Mm. I think they're certainly questioning their own definitions of what AI is. Yeah. Yes. Um, my straight show in the, in the chat said that that is a very Yannick ish word. AI ish. <laughs> yeah. I know. I make up words, you know, mm. English is not my first language. Uh, when I don't know something, I just add ish to a, a word that, you know, almost what I want. And bam, we've got a new word. Well, you say you make up words. But that's French, isn't it? I do. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Shots fired! Woo. Shots fired! <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Says me, you know. <laughs> yes, I come up with some, some cracking words at times. The next scene shifts backwards and forwards between Burnham and Stamets. As Burnham begins to speak before the assembly reminding them that their experiences have shaped them. At the same time, Stamets admits that he wants to trust Zora as he does the crew, but finds it difficult. Burnham emphasises, well, whispers, that before they made the decision that would lead to the destruction on both sides, they've had to first, they had to reach first for understanding. Stamets, too, is trying to understand Zora, getting his head around how the others could be okay with Zora's existence while he was not. Burnham reminds the Assembly of the Federation's mission to seek out new life and new civilizations, Not to destroy, but to connect. Even in the face of uncertainty. Oh. Yeah, there it is. There it is. There it is. Even in the face of uncertainty. While they were not all Federation members, those ideals could still guide them, especially now, and they, sh- they could not let fear define them. Stamets believes that trust is a choice, and he's willing to make that choice if it goes both ways. Both Stamets and Burnham emphasise to their audiences 
that the only way forward was to work together. Stamets tells Zora that if she's asking for them to trust her, she needs to trust them as well, and asks again for the coordinates. Burnham tells the Assembly that they need to decide who they wanted to be. If they wanted to lash out blindly, regardless of the risk, or whether they proceeded thoughtfully and worked towards the future that they wanted to live in. Booker, however, counters that they did not have time to discuss philosophical questions. What matters is the actions they take. Burnham knows that there were different points of view in the room, but holds out the hope that when a decision is reached, they would stand together and move forward as a united front. Booker replies that some differences were too great, and sometimes one had to accept the consequences of that. Now, I don't think Booker was talking about the vote in that last thing he said no. at all. No. But what. It was, uh, I, it was talking <clears throat> directly to Burnham yes. about what she just yes. did. But I think the, the biggest takeaway I take from this, and my respect for Burnham went through the roof on this, because. By saying that when a decision is reached, she hopes that they would stand together and move towards forwards as a united front, means that despite the fact that she's fighting towards a diplomatic resolution to this issue, whatever is decided, she will go along with it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, a big a, thing to say. Yeah. I guess... For a federation member, you, you actually have to do that. It's uh, right. I don't know. If it seems, yeah, yeah. It's a very good, very good scene. They 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 shot that and, yeah. and edited it together really well because that's, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, because ultimately, the two halves, Burnham addressing the assembly. Stamets effectively addressing Zora, they kind of converged into both of them saying exactly the same thing with the same message. Very clever. Yeah, uh, very, very, very well done. Very well, uh, as you said, um, assembled and edited. Um, yeah, uh, I, I didn't realize that uh, it was uh, almost the same subject and the same concerns they had um Barham and uh, Stamets but this scene it, it flows together very well it's uh, it's it's great it's, uh, even though it's at two different places on two different subjects it yeah it it gets very very well together very well done good job uh, this is star trek yeah i know it sounds cheesy but this is what Star Trek does. When they're trying to deliver a moral, a message, they do it really, really well. Yes, indeed. Yes. <clears throat> Talking sense since 1966. Unlike this podcast. <laughs> Talking rot since 20, what? 2019? <laughs> what? Yeah. 100-ish mm. episodes yes. ago. Yes. 108 ish. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, moving on. <laughs> Zora tells Stamets that he has given her much to consider and asks for a moment to think. 
Yeah. The the clues are all there, people. Yeah. But data would have taken like 0.47 seconds to think. <laughs> but not with the emotion chip installed. Indeed. Mm. Saru compliments how beautifully Stamets has expressed his concerns. Stamets jokes that living with a therapist, whilst taking a sidelong glance at Culber, he had picked up a thing or two. Didn't he say that one or two episodes ago already? Yes, I think he, I he mentions yeah. that he's mentioned that a few times. Um, uh-huh. In fact, I think he, he might have said it to Culber. There was a scene... Yeah. Um, it was right at the very end of an episode. It was around about the time that uh, Colwell was kind of low. Yeah. And he'd spoken yeah, to exactly. to Kovic about it. And then at the end of the day, Co- uh, Stamets and Colber were talking about it. And I think he mentioned it yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, sure. A moment later, Zora speaks up again, having reflected on what Stamets had said. As trust was both an emotional and logical act, she performed a behavioural performance assessment which showed the actions of Stamets and the crew to have been consistently taken with care for others and for the Federation, something that she had not considered earlier. Even if some fear remains, she admits that she finds the new realisation quite calming and understands the desire for reciprocity. She thanks Stamets for his understanding and displays a series of numbers on the screen which are the coordinates they've been asking for. So a coordinates in, in my 21st century brain is a, at least three numbers, right? X, Y, Z, yep. and maybe a distance or something. But let, but here there was only one number and 10 to the power of, I don't know how many nines. <laughs> yes, it, it was, it was encoded. You had to like, um, yeah. Un, unbase 64 it and uh <laughs> yeah or maybe it was uh it was a, a block number in the uh in the uh, federation's blockchain, blockchain yes yeah. mm-hmm. relax brings the assembly to a vote calling for those in favor of peaceful first contact to raise their hands and those in favor of striking the anomaly to not raise them what kind of vote is that? It isn't. I ha- I have <laughs> such not. a problem with it because it's not because go on. Yeah, go ahead. Indecisiveness and abstinence automatically becomes a vote for striking. Yeah. First. All right. If I think that a better way would have done this would have been raise your left hand or your right hand, or raise your hand or stand on one leg. Or but, yeah. raise a hand, or punch the person to your right. Yeah, you know, something like that. Something an active, cognitive decision. Not raising your yeah, hand is not a vote. Indeed, and also letting you know, I think people not vote at the same time. It's just like okay, nobody is going to vote, then someone raises their hands, and so you know those who. I'm not sure. They just look around. Eh, okay, I'm going to side with them. Yeah, we're the, we're, tr- the we're trying here. to ally with so, these guys over here, so I'll yeah. mimic what they do, not what I think we should do. Yeah, yeah. So no, that that was not a vote. Yes. United Earth, given that the 
the the results. Sorry, given also that the results were like I don't know forty forty nine fifty one something like that reminds you of something maybe. Um, I think it was slightly <laughs> further apart than that, but really, yeah, it didn't didn't seem like a a clear vote from to me. Reminded me of a of a referendum from a certain country <laughs> a few years back. I wonder which one that was. Mm-mm-mm. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, we had one of those recently. Maybe that was it. Yeah, maybe. Mm. Um, yes, but when it came to the um, to the vote and the vote tally, yeah, that there was a, a difference. It wasn't huge. It was in favour of of the diplomatic route. Um, but when they were going through and doing the voting, those put their hands up, they got their hands scanned and it went off and did stuff and calculated things. But then you were seeing the tallies and you were seeing Mm -hmm. the tallies going up for the people that had voted for one thing and the people that hadn't voted for the other thing. But how can you tally up something that involves inaction yeah. The only way you could do it is to put everybody in the strike column, and then move, and them. Then move them across to the diplomatic. Co- yeah. Co- yeah, I I have serious yeah. serious issues with this. Yeah, me too. United Earth and the Orions are among those who keep their hands down, while the Nevar, Ferengi, Trill, good to see the Ferengi there, Trill, Andorian, yeah. and Al Alshane delegations all raise their hands. Burnham also raises her own. The vote for peaceful first contact carries, and Rillac expresses the hope that those who voted against continue to work with them, and that, of course, all data will continue to be shared. As Booker leaves, Burnham prepares to follow him, but is stopped by Rillac. Discovery will need will be needed to take the lead. But timing... Although I'm not sure Booker was in the mood for a talk. No. Nope. Not at all. No. Um, did I miss something? I didn't realise that Burnham was acting as the um Starfleet uh no, representative. Is, is was she Starfleet representative or Federation representative? I think I, how, I would say Federation. Ah, Federation. Ah. How can she represent the Federation? Yeah. Because the Federation members were there, so yes. no, it's not Federation. No, you. So you know, why you, is Starfleet represented in, in that? Starfleet is the uh, armed arm of the uh, Federation. Maybe they have a vote because they're they're a, they're a huge yeah. organization. Yeah, but they're, they're almost a, a civilization in their own right. But they're composed of members of other uh, civilization. Correct. So, mm. yeah, not sure. But her vote did count. That that was the thing. Uh, she wasn't yeah. representing Nevar because um, that was the Tarina. Oh, well, is it Tarina or is it the Provost? Uh, no, I can't remember. Uh, one of them. Provost, one of them yeah. voted. Yeah. Uh, and. <sighs> See, we're, we're, we're represented by worlds here, aren't we? Not yeah. necessarily by species. No. So I don't know where she voted. Mm. 
Not sure. Should go for a recount. <laughs> yeah, and actually do it right this time. Right, we're on to Act 4. Mm. Yeah, I struggle with this. Big style. <clears throat> Saru looks outside the ready room windows while Kovic continue his, continues his evaluation. They're then joined by Stamets, who asks if the evaluation is completed. Nearly, is all Kovic will say. Saru notes the doctor has been just as tight-lipped with him as well. Kovic asks Stamets how he would feel if he said he was leaning towards extraction. Right, let me read that again. Kovic asks Stamets <laughs> how Stamets would feel if Kovic said that he was leaning towards extraction. And Stamets... Th- yeah. And Stamets it, thinks yeah. it would be a bad idea. But Kovic notices that Stamets is still, still has his concerns. Stamets feels good about the progress they made today, but it was tomorrow that worried him. Tell her, not me, Kovic suggests. I thought that was so clever. Yeah. So clever. But it's, it's Kovic, so... Yeah. It, it was... Uh, um, uh, it, it, it was going to be like that. I mean, it's not, it was not going to just let um, Stamets talk to him. Because right. that's not the point. That's not, mm. that's not the point. He's not, uh, Kovic is not the problem. It's not even part of the no, problem. No, he's completely independent to this. Yeah, yeah, okay, he's the executor, but he's still independent. Yeah. But what I, I did predict how this scene ends, and I was quite proud when I had done because who who exactly is being evaluated here? Yeah. Yeah? So I'll, I'll leave yeah. that with you until we get to the end. But uh-huh. I, I called it. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Stamets talks with Zora, saying that he knows that she means well and values and respects Starfleet and the crew, but he's still concerned that she could prioritise her feelings over the crew's needs, as well as the captain's orders. He reminded her that they were all under a chain of command, but Zora was technically not part of that. She replies she would like to be, which is actually what Stamets hoped she would say, and turns to Kovic to offer a recommendation. However, it's irrelevant now because Kovic has completed his evaluation and determines that Zora is in fact a new life form. Big news. Big news. For everybody. Big news. Because if she had been classified as AI, she would have been extracted by Federation's uh, regulation. Correct. Absolutely. But it was what Zora said next. Mm -hmm. I pretty much lost the plot at this point. (laughs) She said, it feels marvellous. And when I think it was Kovic said, what does? She said, being seen. Yeah. Unrecognized. Yeah. I think it's part of why she suddenly had this uh, hologram or representation uh, that that we've seen, uh, I think, last episode uh, when, when she appeared on the bridge. And now she's using that on every screen each time. She's summoned. Yes. 
Yeah, she first appeared, uh, I think it was actually the, the episode before. The one, I can't remember yeah. now. What was last episode? This is the one with the the pattern buffer. Was that last episode? Yes. Then, yes, it was. Next, then, yes, it was, yeah. yes. Way to go. Yes, congratulations, Zora. Congrats. Suru realises that as a result of this evaluation, this means that the Starfleet ban on integrated AIs does not apply, and Kovic confirms it. Stamets then offers his recommendation that Zora be list- enlisted in Starfleet as a specialist, and Saru agrees that it would be, a, I think he said, a wonderful idea. Yeah. If Zora swore to uphold Starfleet rules and regulations, she would be bound by the same laws that govern them all. Kovic promises to give it his full support. Stamets turns and asks Zora if she would like to join Starfleet, and she confirms that she does. Zora. Or cadet Zora, maybe, first? Well, if she... If she's joining... She would be joining as a non-commissioned. Um, oh yeah, so of office. So uh, I can't say officer. Yeah, to be a specialist, so she'll be civilian. Well, that hang out. You can't. You can't call a civilian. My goodness. No. Um, oh crumbs! I haven't got a clue. I might. I might have to see. look that one. That's my homework for this week. I think to look that one up. <laughs> yeah. Where's Nate when we need him? <laughs> he could have told her. Mm. Told us. Yeah, that could have told us. Yeah, yes, could have told us. Yeah, English is hard. Yeah. Saru then suggests dispensing with the failsafe, but Zora reminds him that it wouldn't be much of a failsafe if she could dismantle it herself. I'm sure she can. I'm sure she can. She created it. Do you know what? Even if she could, she couldn't demonstrate that she could. Because yeah, then that because would the, identify the fact that the failsafe was actually useless. Yeah. But saying that she could not do it is exactly what someone who could do it would say. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> Stamets, however, is pleased to offer to do it instead. After he does, he asks Kovic if he would really have extracted Zora if Stamets had not changed his mind. Kovic's evaluation was as much about Stamets and the crew as it was about Zora and he could see that partnership was possible in, on both sides. But if it hadn't, he would have recommended that Stamets be assigned to another ship, as Stamets concedes, as it should be. Well, yeah, because everybody else was going along. You know, everybody else was ready to give Zora uh, a chance, mm. except for Stamets. So it wouldn't have made much sense to extract Zora. Right. You ex- you extract the problem, yeah. which up to that point was 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 Stamets, and this this is where I think that the whole thing of of Stamets coming in and explaining to to Kovic that he still had reservations, and Kovic saying speak to her, yeah, I think that was the final part of the evaluation because he wanted to see how the interaction between Stamets and Zora changed Stamets. Yeah. I agree. It was almost like um, an intervention. That's the word. An intervention. An intervention. Where, where you, put, yes, you, yes. you put two people in a room. Now you took. And you lock them in. 
and you either talk and sort your problems out or you kill each other. (laughs) (laughs) But that kind of intervention is, is absolutely critical. But yeah, Kovic is absolutely right. Had Stamets not offered the option of recommending that Zora be enlisted in Starfleet, then Stamets would have been on the next ship out of here. Yeah. But the fact that he was willing to make enough compromises to the point where she he was saying, I will trust you if you are under the same rules and regulations as we are, which is totally reasonable, completely reasonable. Yeah. He's, so, yeah. he's saved his job. Yeah. So, yeah, well pleased. Well done. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> Bravo. In the crew lounge, Adira sits alone in front of the trill board game they had been playing with Grey when Grey himself enters and asks to talk. Adira realises that Grey wants to go to Trill, and they tell him to take the shuttle before it leaves the assembly. Grey's surprised that Adira knew he didn't want to wait, but Adira realised it when they saw him light up at the image of Trill in Zora's memories and how he was reacting at that moment. Grey asks Adira to come with him, but they have come to see Discovery as their home, where they were needed, and is confident Grey will make a million friends. Yeah. Grey asks if they're worried about the long distance, and they admit they are, but they have trust in their relationship, and also mentions the snow globe that Tilly left them, saying that all is possible. <laughs> Indeed. Plus, they think that Discovery could spare them for a few days while they get Grey settled, and they've already put yeah. in an application for leave. That's, that's going to be one heck of a long distance, because they're going... Outside of the known universe, uh, galaxy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I what, what, is, I have... what is long distance in space? How, yeah, well, how many millions have, of light uh, years is long distance? I don't know. Well, it's, uh, maybe they're, hopefully they have, uh, they have 4G in the, outside of the galaxy, <laughs> so she can send the text messages. I mean, when Caroline and I were long distance, we were three hours apart. And that's not really long distance. So let's let's double that and say six hours. How far can a starship travel in six hours? Well, technically, at warp ten, it could be anywhere in any time. You know, so. Yeah, warp ten is well is, at the risk of turning into a slug. <laughs> of course, but. Although I'm pretty certain when I was running through the original series, they got up to like warp 13 at one point. Yes, but that's because they changed the warp speed scale between the original series and TNG. Yes. And they made it that warp 10 was an infinite speed Mm. or something. Yeah, they had to uh, kind of make it a, a proper scale. Yeah. Oh, back in the assembly... Saru approaches Tarina, having hoped to see her at some time. Yeah. Yeah. She asks what he was holding, and Saru holds out the succulent plant he was holding. He reminds her that she had provided salt tea during the negotiations to bring Nevar back into the Federation, and that the gel from the plant gave the tea its flavour. 
It came from a small equatorial desert on Kaminar, and thus would be ideal for the desert environment on Neva. Get a room! (laughs) That was a niggly plant. Well, it was more what the plant represented rather than what it was actually (laughs) supposed to look like. Yeah. But uh, did you see it, though? Did you see it? She did something. Very out of character. She smiled. She smiled. She smiled. Yeah, she smiled. Yeah. Come on. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I mean... It's going to be... It's going to be rated uh, R18 soon. (laughs) Yes. Yes. No. No. No, I've, I've, I've got images now. Don't want them. No. <laughs> <laughs> Nearby, Grey, Adira, Stamets, and Kolba speak with Guardian Z. Grey thanks him for the opportunity to train. Kolba knows that both are taking are capable of taking care of themselves, but Z reassures him that he will look out for them. Stamets mock sternly tells Grey he expects regular reports and will see Adira in a week's time before pulling them all together in a group hug. Aww. Oh. Sickly sweet, but actually yes. was very sweet as well. Though they do make Indeed. a really nice family unit. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Back on his ship, Booker places Grudge in a carrying case, just as Tarka transports aboard there. Just as Tarka transports aboard, saying they had ninety four seconds, which incidentally is two times 47 mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. the federation realized that it was gone and that he had taken it referring to the next generation spore drive Tucker calls the name boring and believes aurelio probably should have done better booker remarks on- yeah, like spore drive 2000 ultra pro or something like that yes Th- 33rd century spore drive or something like that Something like that. It's probably what Fox are called in, the, in that century. <laughs> Booker remarks on the small size of the device, while Tarka sarcastically extols its ability to be installed on any ship. Once a navigator was no longer required, he would be the hero of a Starfleet, and not there to accept the accolades. He integrates the device into Booker's navigation system, telling him that the interface worked the same way as it did on Discovery, and the next part was all on Booker. Mm-hmm. Where, what mess did you put yourself into, uh, book? <sighs> he, he's getting deeper and deeper into whatever quagmire that um, Tarka happens to yeah. be sat in at the moment. Yeah. But um, in, in, a, in a slightly lighter note, I did notice that the whole navigation system bent inwards as Tarka pushed the... Um, the spore drive into it. So whatever the material was of the top, like sheet of plastic or whatever, bent inwards. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. Mm -hmm. That's called the props department. Yep. They are all fired. Entering her quarters, Burnham begins to ask for a location for someone, only to find Grudge in her case, sitting on Burnham's desk, and ends by seemingly asking where Grudge is. To which Zora promptly responds that Grudge is five meters from her current location. That was my <laughs> yes. quiz of the week. The uh, quote of the week. Yeah, me too. Yeah, 
<laughs> because it's happened so many times in this house when we've start, started to ask um, the Google-powered puck um, yeah. a question, and then someone said something in the background, or you've been uh, interrupted and you've ended up saying something else, and the results get back. It can, can be quite funny. can be quite amusing. Yeah, I know. I've, I've the same here. When uh, when the TV is on, for example, and you ask something, it, it picks up the the dialogue on the TV. Yes. Yes, can be funny. Burnham also sees Booker's com badge. Activating it, she sees a text message from Booker. I love you, Michael. Please take care of my girl. Burnham asks for Booker's location. Not girl. Hmm? She's not a girl. She's a queen. She's the queen. <laughs> Burnham asks for Booker's location. Zora reports that he's on his ship, now leaving Shuttle Bay. Realising what he's doing, Burnham transports to the Shuttle Bay, but he, she's too late. Booker's ship has left Shuttle Bay, and then Spore jumps away. So, why did the ship have to break apart and reassemble? And it's In the same way yeah. that the rings on Discovery rotate, and it kind of does that... Yeah. <laughs> thing before it disappears it's it's show isn't yeah. it? It, can't, it can't just go because that'd be boring yeah okay but it yeah okay also that was a really Agreed. good impression of the sound effect yeah yeah oh, congrats, congrats. <laughs> Thank you. you're getting better you can you cannot do a transporter but you can do a, a black no, no a I, I, I can't do the transporter no no not yeah. the uh, the traditional transporter mm. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so, how was Book's ship able to spore jump? You can't, e even in the 33rd century, I'm pretty certain you can't take a box, push it into the navigation console of any ship, and suddenly it has the capability of um, spore drive. Apparently you can. Well, I'm sorry, I don't believe it. Uh no, me neither. But that's exactly what um, what he said. Uh, um, he said, you know, uh, the, the the ability to fit into any ship, and and his um, Tucker is even working on getting rid of the navigator. So, yeah, it's mm. going to be standard issue. Indeed. Well, that was it. That was the end of the episode. What did yeah. you think of it? Oh, it was a great episode. It was great. Both plots were great. The uh, I don't know which one was the A plot and which one was the B plot, actually. I think they were both A plots. Um, the evolution of, um, of, of Zora to the point where she actually became a new life... Or, well, she actually was recognized as a new life form. And, and they... Uh, they progress in both her understanding of the crew and Stamets' understanding of her and the fact that they, they were able to join at the end of the episode to, to meet uh, maybe at the middle point. Maybe he's not trusting her 100% just yet, but enough uh, now that um, to to recommend her as um, to be a, a member of Starfleet. 
and she also trusts now the she now trusts the the crew enough so that she could give them their coordinates, knowing that they were they won't run there, you know, uh, blindly and and put themselves in, in danger of, um, for no reason. So th this plot was really interesting uh, as a, a character development. And then the other, the other plot were um, not that much the the vote and and the decision of the federation because we knew that was going to happen. You know, we, the federation doesn't go to war with an unknown enemy anyway. So that was, you know, for granted. But the the shift, or maybe not a shift, but the conclusion of Booker's behavior the past few episodes where he, he was really asking for something to be done but being on the ship on the on the discovery or in, at headquarters um surrounded by people who didn't really want to go to war or to go um attack he, he couldn't do anything but suddenly here's Tarka with this crazy idea and and his um huge uh, overconfidence in, in him, himself and the tool um, that gave I think the, the the final nudge to book to go on the dark side if I can say so um, and and actually go for the destruction of the, the DMA um, and that was as you said when when um, book uh, gave his speech and then um uh Burnham gave her speech at the end of, of of those the at the end of that when he said you know sometimes you just have to accept the consequences that was the um the breaking point between between them that's i think that's when he said okay well screw that i'm going to go with Taka so it was it was a great episode, uh, I thought, uh, just for that. And again, well written, very well written. Uh, all the characters, um, very well played by uh, by the, the main characters, the main uh, actors too. Um, yeah, one one of those episodes. Well, it's also the end of the first half of the season, so it had to be a very strong episodes so that they could they could uh they could have a cliffhanger and have people wanting begging for more uh for more episodes but yeah they they managed to to do that i think i couldn't agree with you more i think as far as the as the cliffhanger was concerned what often happens with these mid-season breaks or even the season finales is you'll get to the final um, final scene and then the credits roll and you get this kind of like Argh! reaction. That sounded a bit like yeah. wharfed thing, but it wasn't. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of what happened here, but it, it wasn't so much um, anger towards the scriptwriters that they've left us in a situation that we now have to wait for. Bearing in mind, when we watched this the first time around, we were watching it near live. 
Mm-hmm. Um, this was more of a frustration in that I want to know what happens next. Just to reflect on something you said, I've written down here, I think Book has backed the wrong horse in a yeah. big way. All right, He's violated the vote. He's now working contrary to the, to the vote. So he, yeah. he, he will be in violation of a number of, um, of regulations, none of which I think he's actually subject to because he's still a civilian. He's yeah, independent. Um, ooh. I, I, I'm not sure he really cares about uh, the, the regulation, the Federation's regulation. All he wants mm. is vengeance. So. I hadn't considered it that way before. I think you're right. Because his loyalty is to, well, up until this point, was to Burnham, not to anything yeah. that Burnham represented. And now he's alone. And, well, pretty much, yes, because Tarka's no flipping use. <laughs> but yeah absolutely the the a or b plot whatever they're called yeah the assembly vote is yeah. brilliant absolutely brilliant the the whole build up to um to the vote i know i picked a lot of holes in this episode particularly yeah, particularly around around the the assembly plot um and the yeah the be, the plot between zora and stamets i don't think they could have done it any better no. at all if it was their intention to put across a moral relating to tolerance and understanding, then they nailed it. If it was yeah. not their intention to do it, they still flipping nailed it. <laughs> but like I said, this is Star Trek. This is what Star Trek does. We've we've commented on it a number of times when we've gone through some of the early, um, well, both DS9 and and the TNG series we've reviewed. We've picked up on the fact yeah. that they've they've covered things that we're still talking about even now, from a yeah. from a social perspective. So, I I love that part of it. Which brings us to Kovic. Yes, I think I might have said this last week, but I think Kovic at the moment is probably one of my favourite characters. If if in fact he may be my favourite character at the moment. That's only because Reno's Since, not in. <laughs> yeah, and neither Tilly. And neither Tilly, yes. Although Tilly was in this episode. She was. Yeah, yeah she, was. she was. She was. Um, so, yeah, um, I hope we see a lot more of Kovic now that we know kind of what he's capable of. And, uh, his, his role in the, in the series now has become a lot less ancillary. He's actually he's actually doing things in the series that are making a difference. He has purpose rather than just you know glib dry comments. Yes, I agree. So um, yeah, it, 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 it's it's like the uh, um, Miro Giorgio or uh, all, all those characters that not necessarily the the one you welcome and you you like at first sight but uh but yeah it, it's is growing on me yes absolutely okay uh i think that's all i had to say about that really all right um we have any trivia 
Not really. Uh, we saw Endoye okay. um, was a returning character. Stuckia was a returning character. And Emperor Liu, who was in Kobayashi Maru, the first episode of this season, um, is, is has come back for the first time. Um, species represented at the assembly humans, Vulcans oh they've said Vulcans in Nivarians, Cardassians, Ferengi Orions, Andorians, Rhysians Quajan, obviously Lurians, Trill, Alshane Osnulus Schlurms uh, they're just making these up Amarazan Sarothian Captir Decone, Facians, Hornish, and Zindi insectoids. Nice. I don't remember seeing the Zindi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see. Uh, I've seen one. I think. I, th- I think I remember one. Yeah. Because um, they were supposed to have represented all four quadrants, but of course, um, yes, Zindi. Uh, they were Delta quadrant, were they not? No, they were not. Are they not? I don't think so. No, Delta Quadrant is where the wormhole goes. Yeah. The uh, oh, I can't remember now. The Dominion. The Dominion was from the Delta Quadrant. Ah, uh, right. But I don't think you, you've you seen the Dominion. In uh, no, not yet. Not yet. No, not yet. Um, and the only other thing that was mentioned was that at the very beginning of the address, uh, Relax stated that a total of 60 worlds were now members of the Federation. Mm-hmm. Uh, which means that during the course of this season, no other worlds have joined because in Kobayashi Maru, she said there were 59. So one. So yeah, yeah, Nivar. Yeah, Nivar. True. Cool. I think I said, oh, oh, sorry, one more. Nice, uh, um, uh, light-hearted one. Um, Grudge is actually played by two brothers. Oh, so despite the fact that they are playing a female cat, they're played by two brothers, Durban and Liu, which is presumably uh, where right. the Liu, um, uh, what's it, Ambassador Liu? Emperor Liu came from. Wow. Awesome. Interesting fact. Indeed. Right, anything else from you? No. Right, that I'm good. then brings us to the end of our review of Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 7, but to connect. So thank you always. For, no, thank you always. Thanks to all of you for listening to our show. You can help us spread the love of this podcast by installing a next generation spore drive into your car and jumping around the world, telling everyone how awesome we are. Or if you think that might just result in you punching a hole in the middle of your dashboard, you can simply share the address of our website on social media. Who's writing this? Yeah. <laughs> That might have been me. <laughs> <laughs> our website is at trgreyhot.org where you can find our show notes, uh, our past reviews because we don't put them anymore in there and leave a comment for every episode on the uh, comment form thingy uh, under each episode. Indeed so. Um, we are no longer on Facebook or Twitter, so don't bother looking for us there, but we are on Telegram over at t.me slash podcast and on Mastodon at tegh-podcast at 1701home.com. We also stream the recordings of those episodes on Twitch at twitch.tv slash tegh-podcast. Bear with me. 
<laughs> in, in my attempts to go and make sure we we're reading out the right thing, I kind of, yeah, got stuck. Yeah. Thanks, as always, to Memory Alpha. We have based our review of this week's episode on their amazing work. And this is released under a Creative Commons by attribution non-commercial license. The rest of this show is released under a Creative Commons by attribution share-like license. See our website for details, because it's there. We found it. <laughs> yeah, bottom left. Yeah. Yes. This podcast is a proud member of the Other Side Podcast Network. Check out our website containing details of all of our shows and our phenomenally attractive hosts over at otherside.network. Our next episode will be a review of All In, the eighth episode of the fourth season of Star Trek Discovery, and the first episode after the mid-season break. And incidentally, it will be um, episode 100, 100 of this podcast. Again. But we are not, yeah, 100 again. <laughs> so uh, it's 108, 9 or mm. 10 recordings. Um, we're probably not going to do anything special for no. that. Noise. Nice. Well, thank you, Dave, for joining me once again tonight. Thanks to Mace Rachel, who uh, was with us with us in the chat all evening long. Um, so, yeah, join us if you want uh, on on Twitch where we record this. We post the um, announcements on uh, Mastodon and Telegram. But if you want to just subscribe to our well not subscribe follow our channel on twitch you can do that and you will be notified when we go live um i think that's it for this week uh, unless you have something else to add Dave. nope so that concludes this recording thank you everyone for listening watching chatting with us we will be back next week with a whole lot more star trek discovery in the meantime, take care of yourselves. Ciao, ciao. See ya. listening to a member of the Other Side Podcast Network. Find more about our shows at otherside.network. <laughs> <laughs>